Sun Life Community Church came into being as the result of a compelling vision for a different kind of church, interested in what we call the Sun Life, experiencing and sharing the life of God's Son. Perhaps your heart is burdened these days. We invite you to allow the Word of God through the words of this message to bring rest to your soul and joy to your heart. Our Heavenly Father, now we just ask as we prepare to open your word, as we prepare to wrap our minds around some of those things you have communicated by your Holy Spirit, may we find those words to be clear and compelling. May we be changed by them, strengthened by them, directed by them. For we ask it in Jesus' name, for his sake and for the sake of his church. Amen. So, the first Sunday in January, which was only two weeks ago, we began a series of messages. It's only one month long. It's preparing us for our Commitment Sunday, the first Sunday in February. And we titled this short little series, Be My Bride, and said it was a proposal from Jesus Christ. We wrote the title in red ink. It's a proposal from Jesus Christ like no other anyone has ever received. Now, we're two weeks in, and it seems, hopefully, that Jesus' proposal, Be My Bride, is starting to flesh itself out a little bit. It's not exactly a prenuptial agreement that we're dealing with, but it does contain specific content and expectations, doesn't it? Committing ourselves to Christ's church is an awesome proposition. His church contains all born-again believers of all time. We are fellow members with the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Peter, with all the apostles, and with the greats of the church for the last 2,000 years. From every country and tribe around the world, we are part of that glorious body of Christ. Now, committing ourselves to Sun Life Community Church is a very specific proposition. It has a specific time. It's only good for the year 2022. That's what we're looking at. It's in a specific place, our little corner of the world. It features specific practices, our six-fold ministry strategy, and, of course, it features and is made up of specific people. Those dear 130 or 40 or so who will walk the aisle with us right down this aisle on February the 6th, first Sunday in February, and join their hearts and lives together with one another in this place. And so this month we've been raising and seeking to answer the question, what is the distinctive nature of of the congregation called Sun Life Community Church. And we're saying there are six definite and distinctive answers to that question. Each of those answers identifies one of the six ministry strategies that we follow here at Sun Life Church. Some of you are familiar with them and know them well. Others of you are just hearing about them. You've seen them written on the front of the bulletin, but you might even have questions about what does that phrase mean? 
And so we're going through them one by one. So far, we've identified and examined two of those six unique ministry strategies, those things that tend to distinguish Sun Life Community Church from any other local congregation. Now, these in no way, let me just say right off the top here, in case you're thinking I'm saying something else, these strategies do not make us any better than any other church. But they do make us somewhat different and therefore lay before us a distinctive and a definite decision. Now, two weeks ago, in answer part one to the question, we highlighted the fact that Sun Life Community Church is an annually renewed congregation. Everyone's membership has but a 12-month shelf life. And we're coming to the end of last year's life. The 2021 Sun Life Congregation only has a couple more weeks to, to be in existence. And then that entire membership vanishes away. Mine as well, as anyone else's. And we have a chance to make a commitment again or for the first time to say, count me in to the 2022 version of Sun Life Community Church. We talked about that two weeks ago. Then last week, in answer part two, we highlighted the fact that Sun Life Community Church is a worship-centered congregation. I just sat here rejoicing in the reality of that. Worship-centered. It means the worship of our three-person God, Father, Son, and Spirit, is at the absolute center of everything we do. So now today we come to answer part three. First part of your notes here. And we highlight the fact that Sun Life Community Church is a cell-based congregation. And Jesus invites us, as he does every year, to be part of it. Now, that term cell-based, I know it can strike your ear these days a little bit strange. And a lot of people who aren't part of our church, never been part of any church like this, might say, you're what? Cell-based? What does that mean? Well, back in the middle 1990s, when Sun Life Community Church came into being, 1994 and then 95 was our first Commitment Sunday, that term, cell-based, identified a worldwide church movement, a way of doing church that was actually pretty new, a way of doing church that revolutionized a lot of the standard business-as-usual, highly structured, organized churches in the world. At that time, the largest church in the world was a cell-based church. It was a church in South Korea boasting 700,000 members. You'd say, how would anybody know anybody there? How would there ever be any personal sense of ministry there? Well, every single one of those 700,000 members was in a group of 10. The senior pastor, Paul Cho, met with 10 men every week. And those 10 men met with 10 men. And those 10 met with 10 and met with 10 and they were hoping by the year 2000 to have a church of a million. That's when you get down to 100,000 people who are each leading groups of 10. And they were on their way. And so they were both immense and they were very small. 
and the things we're going to talk about today were able to be experienced in their church, even though they were way, way too big for everybody to know everybody. However, after 9-11 and the rapidly formed Department of Homeland Security on our country, there was designated and taken the word cell to mostly mean a terrorist cell. And to many, the term cell became a dirty word. However, we have stuck with it in spite of the spin of circumstances because it's so vivid and so biblical. The scriptures refer to the church as the body of Christ in numerous New Testament passages, most notably in 1 Corinthians 12, 27. We are the body of Christ. Paul talks about the ear can't say to the hand, I don't need you. And he uses that illustration of a physical body. Now think about this. The smallest complete unit of the physical body is the cell. It is in miniature what the body is in entirety. Each of us began as a single fertilized cell. Everything that we would ever be was contained in that microscopic bit of life. I like to say that the smallest legitimate unit of Sun Life Community Church is not the individual member. The smallest legitimate unit of Sun Life Community Church is the cell group. In the cell group, the life of the entire church body can be found. Now, in our church, we define a cell as being between 8 to 10 people. Never larger than that. You'll see why in a moment. They're not just small groups. Some big churches have small groups that are only small compared to the size of the congregation. We've got five, 6,000 people here, and we have small groups that have up to 80 or 90 in them. Well, they're small compared to the big, but they're not at all small, are they? Do you realize once a church gets to be 50 people in size, most people in that church don't know the other 49? Now, we won't try this experiment because we're, we're, pretty, we're pretty small today. But generally, on a typical Sunday, I could probably pick anybody on this side of the church and ask you if you could name everybody on this side of the church. And chances are most of us can't. And we're just a little group. And we're still too big to know everybody and to actually get involved with everybody and be aware of everybody and kind of know if anybody's having a a problem. Now, one of the marvelous things that's been added to our church is our prayer ministry. So that when Linda puts together those requests and sends them out every week, you begin to pray for people that you don't know yet. And regularly on a Sunday morning, Linda will stand at the door and people will come in and say, man, I've been praying for so, who is that? And she can say, oh, that's that person right over there. And that helps. All of a sudden, more people know more people if you're part of that prayer network. And so I encourage you to get on it. And when Linda sends out that long list of of things that are ongoing concerns and then things that are brand new, 
crises in people's lives that you begin to pray for them and all of a sudden there's a name that becomes familiar to you even though you haven't met them yet. And more often than not on a Sunday morning, you might meet a person and you can say, well, I've been praying for you. I feel like I know you already. And you do to some degree. That's the kind of ministry that, that we're talking about this morning as we go through. Now, our cell groups, as I said, are 8 to 10 in size, never larger. They're small because they are personal and they are private. They are small because each person is important and needs to, be, needs to participate. They are small because, as we will see this morning, there are numerous ministries expected of Christ's church in the Bible given that can only be carried out in smaller, more intimate settings. So consider with me now today's insightful scripture. Uh, This was the Apostle Paul speaking. It was near the end of his ministry. He was meeting with the elders of the church in Ephesus just before Paul was going to go to Rome and face up with Caesar there. And so he was meeting with them. He had previously spent two or three years in their city teaching in their church, the longest time he had ever stayed in any individual church. And here's what he says to the elders. He says, you know, that is, you remember, I taught you publicly and from house to house. Acts 20.20. We called that way back in the beginning our 2020 ministry vision. Clear. 2020 vision. I taught you publicly and from house to house. And in that verse, you could say the New Testament church, certainly the church in Ephesus, had a kind of twofold dynamic. There was a public dynamic and there was a private dynamic. I met you, taught you publicly all together at once, and I also taught you house to house, smaller groups of you. Most all churches today have the public dynamic down pat. They give great energy to running their public services and and, and they can be impressive. They can be wonderful. They can teach the word great. One speaker can teach 50,000 people. Well, that's efficient. That's good. That's wonderful. But not too many churches have the private dynamic functioning, haven't even necessarily made provision for it. So just one more comment about that private thing. Our cell groups are not only private, they tend to be permanent. Our cell groups are not a church growth method. Get together 10 people, the goal is they grow to 20 people, then they divide into two groups of 10 that each grow to 20, and it's a mechanism that Our groups are designed to do something entirely different, a biblical something that we're going to be talking about through the morning. But these groups, once they're formed, they tend to be permanent. The bonds between people formed there frequently last a lifetime. And as you'll see in a moment, the Bible anticipates that such bonds will become the reality in any New Testament church. So here then is today's key concept. I'm going to introduce a phrase to you. Today's key concept. 
Believers are responsible to what? One another, one another. That can sound a little funny when you say it. Believers are responsible to one another, one another. In fact, as I went through the New Testament this week, and just reminding myself and picking them out again, there are 21 different directives in the New Testament. 21 verses, passages that have the term one another in it. That tells us here's something we should be doing for and to and with other believers. 21 things. They're all different. We're going to mention all of them this morning. So your note sheet's going to be a reference page. I'm not going to preach a little. This could lead to, we could have a message called How to One Another and would have 21 messages. Because each one of these is a unique ministry. How to, one, how to one another one another. Today we're just going to go through them all. Going to give you the key scripture so you can review them and have them and just see what a great and noble task we all have. So, in some 21 ways, believers in a church fellowship are to one another one another. So here we go. By the way, that was a phrase that was coined by one of our very earliest cell group shepherds and overseers who's, who first said, well, you know, it's in our cell groups where we one another one another. I had preached some messages on the one another's of the scripture. And he said, well, you know, it's in our cell groups where that can best happen. And that's where we can one another one another. And that just has such a nice ring to it. And it communicates the truth that I'm sharing it with you today. You might say he invented a verb form. You won't find this in the, in the dictionary anywhere. One anothering. But we use it, and it means something to us. So, here's the point. A cell group, eight to ten people, is a place where one anothering can most effectively be done. Such one anothering, as we'll see in the scripture simply cannot be done in a large group setting. You get nervous in a larger group? For how many of you is this group right now too big for you to just stand up and say something? Well, then I could call on any one of you now, right? Only one person raised their hand and said, this is too big for me. But, you know, we know it is. We know your heart would start to pound if you said, I wonder if he's going to call on me with all these people here listening and looking. Now, a cell group, 8 to 10, that meets together every single week and develops relationships where they know each other well and there's no real surprises by what anybody says, a cell group is a place where one anothering can more effectively be done. Can't be done in a large group setting. And by the way, if you're following along, for us as a church, a large group begins at what number? Eleven. Eleven. Ah, well, there's just too big of a group to do what we want to do. One of you's got to leave. We'll get you in a group that only has nine. See, eleven. Eight to ten is our, our, our target. Any congregation of any size at all is really too big for any one anothering to take place when the whole group's together. So you might say when a whole group is together in worship, 
every one of these verses that has the term one another in it just has to be set aside. None of that really happens very well in the large group setting. Other things happen in a large group setting that are our blessings. Worship, the more the merrier for worship. Preaching, the, the more ears there are to hear and take it in, the, the more opportunity the Holy Spirit has. But these 21 things are tough to do when you've got a big group where people don't actually even know each other that well. And so this morning, we're going to go through all 21 of them, these one-anothering ministries that we find in the Scripture. Now, I've organized them under several categories of blessing. It's like you can bunch them together and say, you know, these seven produce this kind of a, a blessing in the lives of people. These seven, when they function, produce another kind of blessing in the lives of people, and these seven produce yet a third kind of blessing in the lives of the people who engage in them. Now, I don't exactly have 777, but we got the 21 that are all in there. So here we go. The blessings of biblically one-anothering one another. Number one, biblically blessing Biblically, one-anothering one another creates a marvelous family feeling. And by the way, everything I'm saying today can be applied to a Christian family. A Christian family is a very special kind of cell group. If you're all believers together, all these dynamics we're talking about today can be applied right into a family setting and make them strong and and provide the very blessings that I'm talking about this morning. To some degree, every one of these 21 things can provide a blessing to just two people who are friends. Christian friends together. Jesus said the smallest group that he would attend is two, if two or three of you. Two people can be the smallest possible cell group. But every one of these one-anothering activities can happen just between two Christian friends. So keep that in mind, even though we as a church try to structure it in in a more formal way. Okay, here we go. Biblically, one-anothering one another creates a marvelous family feeling. First one, John 13, 34, the only one that came out of the mouth of Jesus, though it is repeated in the New Testament in the apostolic writings 14 different times. Love, that is agape, one another. In a sense, you could say that's the only one we need. If we would just love one another the way that Christ loved the church, the way that Christ loves us, all of these other 20 are just outflowing Uh, expressions of what love will do in your heart. But this is one we find. Love one another. Romans 12, verse 10, the first part of verse 10, it says, be devoted to one another. Romans 10, 12, 10, the second part says, honor one another above yourself. Romans 12, 16 says, live in harmony with one another. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 10 says, agree with one another. 1 Peter 4 9 says, offer hospitality to one another. 
Ephesians 5.21 says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's like because you see that this person belongs to Jesus Christ, because you honor Christ, because you bow the knee to Christ, be willing to submit your will to this person out of respect for the Christ who is their Savior and who very likely might be speaking to you by his Holy Spirit through them. So be prepared for that. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Romans 16.6 says, Greet one another, I put with a holy hug. Now in Paul's day when he wrote that, men and women together publicly, just like in some countries around the world, the culture still is, greet one another with a holy, what? Kiss. On the cheek, usually. These days, you know, we, we, we really walk carefully there. But I would just say, greet one another enthusiastically. Whatever the culture permits and whatever uh, the circumstances allow, greet one another enthusiastically. Boy, am I glad to see you. So as we go through that, we say, what a, what a list. It's an awesome list. The Lord intends these smaller groups of believers really to experience a little bit of heaven on earth when they get together. How rare and wonderful in this fallen world to be able to say about those with whom we fellowship the most to say these things. These people love me. These people are devoted to me. They honor and respect me. They live with me in harmony. They agree, that is, they share common values with me. They see Christ in me. And they are always delighted to see me. What a blessing they are to me. See, if those, those one anotherings were being carried out, who wouldn't feel like that to be around people like that and to be part of a, a group like that? To tell you the truth, I could call any number of our congregation up here this morning and have them affirm that that's exactly how they feel about their cell group. We believe that the cell group environment creates a marvelous family feeling, a loving family, helpful family feeling. Now here's a second great blessing of one another living. The attitudes of blessing one leads to the actions of blessing two. And here we go. Biblically, one anothering one another fosters a healthy, wholesome environment. Now we got a list of some actions. How we treat one another. Romans 15, 7. Accept one another as Christ has accepted you. Do you think Jesus has accepted any of us into his loving embrace and said, what a weird one. What a weird person that is. I don't think I could really embrace that one. No, he embraces us. We're all fallen. He loves us all. He died for us all. And this verse says, when you're together with your, your group, accept one another as Christ accepted you. Colossians 3.13, bear with one another and forgive one another. Those two things go together. Be patient with one another when they're not quite up to snuff. Bear with them and forgive them if they've actually done something that has been harmful or or distressing to you personally. Just be ready to do that, because you love them. They're part of your group. Romans 14, 13, 
Stop passing judgment on one another. See, the reason that Paul says stop it is because that's a natural human thing to do. Even the people we're closest to, we can form judgments about, gee, I don't think I would ever do that. Can you believe they did that? Stop doing that, Paul says. Stop passing judgment on one another. James 5, 9 and James 4, 11 says, do not grumble against or slander one another. Don't talk bad about people. Make them look worse than they actually are. Don't grumble. Be more receptive of, you know, it is what it is, perhaps. Ephesians 4.32, be kind and compassionate to one another. Galatians 5.13, serve one another humbly in love. Can you imagine spending an hour or two each week in that type of environment? Can you imagine what it's like to enter that environment of acceptance and non-judgment and patience and forgiveness and kindness and compassion and loving service and sweetness where no grumbling or slanderous speech is found? Would it not also be like a little bit of heaven on earth? Now, that's the kind of experience I want everyone who comes through our doors to sense. And I know many of you have. Even the very first Sunday you're here, you can say, you know, I sense kind of a, a mood among these people. I, I sense a, an openness, a, a love for one another. I, sense, I don't really sense that they're at each other's throats about anything. And that's just a general spirit in the air. But the cell group takes on those characters and says, this is how we are with one another. And the Bible has given us directives of how to be. In the larger setting, though, we have to accept that observation a little bit more by faith and say, I'm seeing certain things here. I'm sensing certain things here. I really believe this is a good group. I really believe these are good people. I really believe these people love each other. I really believe, but every now and then there's been new people who've come to our church who'll tell me later, they sense that right in the beginning, but since they were new and since they had experience with other groups, they would say, you know, but I was just waiting for the shoe to drop. I was waiting for that announcement. I was waiting for some person who gets to know me who would come up beside me and say, hey, let me tell you what's really going on here. Let me tell you who the troublemakers really are. And this person said to me, I waited for months and nobody ever came up. And my initial impression of what these people are like and the relationships they have together is true and now I'm part of it. I'm one of them. See, that's what we want. In the large group, though, all these things can't really be fleshed out. But we can believe in our hearts they exist and then we move into a, a more person-centered group where we say, you know, they, it's really true. And I'm so refreshed and encouraged to be in at least one group like that on the, in this fallen world that is, stands apart from other things. Here's the third thing now. The final blessing of one another living that we'll share this morning. Under this heading, we will find all the rest of the 21 one another directives that were given to the church. 
these person-to-person interactions work wonders when the Holy Spirit causes them to flourish in our midst. So here's how I'd I'd express this blessing. Number three, biblically one-anothering one-another generates spiritual growth and goodness. Hebrews Hebrews 3.13 says, encourage one another, and later on adds daily. Encourage one another. Put courage into people when they begin to kind of draw back and be a little suspicious of life or a little frustrated with life or a little fearful of going forward. You put courage into them. Encourage them. And see what a little encouragement does. Teach and admonish, Colossians 3.16. Teach and admonish, that is to warn people against dangers one another. Hebrews 10, 14, spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Sometimes these people are already heading down a good path and you can just encourage them. Sometimes they haven't even conceived of that good path and you bring it up to them and you kind of encourage it. You spur them on. Go for it. Keep after it. God will be honored as you. The Bible says we should, and and you spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And then James 5, 16, leave this for last. This could never happen in a big group, and it takes a while before it can happen in the little group, but it says, confess your sins to and pray for one another. I've been in small groups where I've seen that happen, cell groups in our church where after a time where there's a a trust in one another, where there's a a friendship, a connection, and many of these other things are functioning, where somebody says, I just got to share something today. And they share a real mess up of one sort or another. A bad attitude, a bad action, and and here in this little setting, they just need to get it off their chest. I I need you to pray for me, is what it ultimately says. James adds at the end of that verse, confess your sins to and pray for one another that you may be healed. That things get straightened out. And inside yourself, spiritually, emotionally, there is, there is healing that comes and it comes as the ministry to one another is, is flowing into your life. You see, the bonds formed in cell groups quickly become 24-7 kinds of relationships. Not only in the cell meeting do life-impacting interactions take place. Remembering someone else's struggles and their need for encouragement and counsel does not end with the closing prayer of the cell meeting. How many of us have been spurred on toward greater faithfulness to Christ, more faithful service to Christ, because of the encouragement and the insight and the counsel that we have received from those Christian brothers and sisters who are closest to us. How many of us have received a very special type of healing of heart and soul, and perhaps even of body, by coming clean regarding some misbehavior on our part? and doing so in the presence of one or more others who will faithfully pray for and assure us of our Heavenly Father's forgiveness. 
Jesus has envisioned an incredibly beautiful and functional church made up of incredibly beautiful and functional people. Believers who by the Father's grace and the Spirit enablement will one another, one another, right into the abundant life he came to provide. This is Jesus' plan for the development of his church. I accepted this by faith 27 years ago. I testify to it 27 years later. So I close this message this morning by sharing what I've called today's tragic spiritual reality. We've got to be aware of this. A church that does not engage in one anothering one another is a church in name only. It's only doing a, a part of what the church of Jesus Christ is to do. It's, it's forgetting just in light of this message today, it's forgetting about 21 things that the Bible says every one of us as believers should be doing. The question is, how do we do it? How do we get to a place where we can minister comfort and encouragement and pray for and know about the things going on in people's lives where we can be of a ministry? where we can be of a help. Who do we turn to when we're the one needing help and prayer and encouragement? When we're about ready to just say, I quit. See, how does that happen? For the Bible anticipates that it will happen. And a church body is responsible to somehow try to make sure it does happen. So our small groups, our cell groups, is one way. Like I said, a commitment in every family is a way. A commitment you have to your best Christian buddy is a way. Husband and wife can have this dynamic between the two of them, but the church as a whole, it's our responsibility to provide this for as many as possible. You see, Jesus is looking for a bride who will take these responsibilities seriously. Jesus is looking for a bride who will join with him in his love for and commitment to all who make up their church family. Now I'm going to share with you something this morning I've never previously done, never even thought about it previously, but this week was just really struck with this thought. I've never applied Jesus' rebuke to the Ephesian church that's recorded in Revelation chapter 2 in this way. But I would challenge us all to consider it in this way this morning. Here's what Jesus said, Revelation chapter 2 verse 4. He said, speaking to the church in Ephesus, who had quite a resume of good things they had done. He says, but you have forsaken your first love. Maybe you got so caught up in the doing of stuff that the most important thing that your heart ought to be set on, you've kind of forsaken, I mean, actually given up on it, considered it not to be important at all while you do all these other things. How outrageous would it be for me to suggest that Jesus might possibly have meant to those people You have forsaken your love for the church family itself. You've resisted false teachers. You've done all kinds of things. 
You probably have programs running, and, but you've forsaken your love for the church family itself. For the bride of Christ that he died for. For the bride of Christ that will someday spend eternity with him. Is it possible to be going full steam ahead as a church of Jesus Christ and actually forsake the caring of the people? Let me tell you this. I've been there and done that. When I was younger and was all, all pep, you know, pumped up with enthusiasm from seminary on how to build a church and do a church and, and get the programs going and get this going, and there were times semi-jokingly, but you could still say, if it wasn't for these people, we could get this place running. These people are a hindrance in what we're trying to do here. We need to organize them. We need, now we're starting a new program and we need 10 leaders. Where are we going to get 10 leaders? Well, 10 phone calls to arm twist 10 people because we see people as tools. We see people as things. We people see people as slot fillers in our great organization that's going to just catch the attention of the world. I've been there. There are many, many pastors who are there who have realized when they come right down to it, they haven't done any pastoring in years. What they've done is run an organization, developed something almost like an American corporation, and they've been able to move the chess pieces around their board to, to win great victories. It's just that those chess peoples are people. And all you really care about is this is a guy filling a Sunday school slot. I don't even need to know about his personal life. Just, we need a guy here. We need a woman here. We need a leader here. I could see Jesus coming to a church like that and say, you know, you've, you've built something awesome here in the eyes of the world. You've built something awesome even in the eyes of your congregation. They're all impressed with it. But I have this against you. You've left your first love in the midst of all this activity. You've met for your first love. And I know I've heard messages on that. The first love is evangelism. The first love is missions. The first love... No. Christ loves his church. He died for it. And to say what you've done is you're neglecting the very people I died for while you try to get this organization to promise. What a tragic thing that would be. Wouldn't that be possibly explaining the people who come before Jesus and then, we did this, we did that, we did all these great things in your name. And he says, depart from me. I never even knew you. You've never been involved with what I care about. The born again people who are right there in front of you. Jesus, we could almost paraphrase his words Because here's how he finished that rebuke in verse 5 of Revelation 2. He says, repent. Repent and do the things you did at first. Read Acts chapter 2 and see how the church started out. A band of happy brothers and sisters together 
sacrificing for one another, sharing together, worshiping God together, building something that resembled the bride of Christ. Repent. And do the things you did at first. I would paraphrase that statement today, Jesus saying, in light of what we're saying today, one another, one another, in the 21 ways my spirit has directed. Get back to that. Get back to that. I praise God that we have attempted from the very beginning of this church to recognize that and then seek to do that to love one another, to care for one another, to be there for one another, to encourage one another, but realizing that it's this body of people that God has given to us to love and to cherish and for each one of you to interact with with others in that way. So our final thought just says this, Sun Life Community Church is a cell-based church. That's our structural way to try to give expression to these biblical directives. It is a cell-based church where the one-anothering directives of the scripture are embraced and pursued. Jesus invites each of us, I would say once again this year, to become part of it. I look around here, I see your faces, and I just know you say to yourself, "That's, that's who we are. That's what we're trying to do. And for all of you who, any of you who are not invited or involved in in these 21 kind of ways, I'd just say jump on board and realize that as you join the Sun Life Church this year, you're committing yourself to be part of this kind of strategy to one another, your fellow believers here in this place. Our Heavenly Father, we... We thank you. We talk about you communicating clearly and convincingly. The scripture the Holy Spirit gave us is just so clear. It's not confusing theology like some passages are. This is just do this, do this, do this, do this 21 times. Don't do that, don't do that. The things that we do build and strengthen the church. The things we're being told not to do harm people and and the relationships And ultimately, it harms our relationship with you. So, Father, I pray that in this new year, we might remember and continue to follow after the things that we've determined from the very beginning that we find in the Scripture and that we would each find friends with one another. We would find partners in the faith and that everyone in this church would be one anothering someone, and everyone in this church would be one anothered by someone, and that beautiful spirit of heaven might just sink deeper and deeper into our souls. We ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope this message has inspired you to live the sun life together with us. If you are near Apple Valley, California this weekend, we invite you to join us in person Sunday morning or through our live broadcast. All the details are on our website at sunlifecommunitychurch.com.